Hey, it's Dan Gudry back here for another episode of Knock Your Socks Off, and I am thrilled today to bring to you one of my favorite people in the security world, one of the smartest people that I know in the security world, Ryan Schoenfeld, CEO and founder of Hivewatch. Welcome to the episode, Ryan. Thanks, Dan. It's clear from the introduction that we need to introduce you to more people in the security industry. Yeah, see, that's usually my line, but uh, but I'm glad you started there. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> I, I, Ryan and I met a couple of years ago, and we were talking about uh, developing a, a command center for one of his clients. And I, I think that trial by baptism for both of us in the space kind of kind of forged a relationship that uh, um, has has existed now through the years. And then I've been so overwhelmed with seeing your progress in the space and your growth in in the market. Uh, even though I've only been, you know, part of part of uh, you know that circle for a couple of years, it's been great to see. For those of you that don't know Ryan, can you kind of give us a little bit of a high level of your background, uh, your journey uh, in the professional world that's gotten you here today? I can try. Um, like a lot of people in uh, the physical security space, I started in law enforcement. I was a police officer and detective, but kind of a weird one who decided to go get a master's in IT, specifically system design and development out of frustration of both how antiquated the the law enforcement industry was, but also our ability to go and, and chase bad people and leverage technology to conduct investigations. And so a passion of mine became how you find and extract data from weird places and operationalize it. In that world, it was about um, criminal investigations and, and prosecution. And, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit and how that translated to, to the corporate sector. But um, became reasonably okay at that. Uh, the State Department brought me on as a consultant to train some of our allied nations law enforcements in uh, identification and seizure of, of digital evidence. And then transitioned fully to the private sector. I worked for one of the largest guarding companies in the world, helping um, with guard management and tech enablement early days of the Affordable Care Act. And then became a Fortune 500 end user, first managing global investigations, and then I ran global security technology. So we had a, a GSOC or a control room that was responsible for protecting our uh, employees around the globe on every continent except Antarctica. And that was really my first experience of seeing how complex it was to scale a corporate security program. I loved the mission of protecting people. Um, but the disparate nature of systems, the the disconnectedness, the how legacy some of the products were, um, and as the organization scaled, whether it's through organic growth, mergers and acquisitions, et cetera, um, that just exponentially increased the the complexity of running an efficient program. So solving that problem became a bit of a, a passion of mine. Uh, started a consulting firm, which is where we ultimately met. Uh, but working with companies to help them find ways to tech enable their their physical security programs and and make them more efficient. Uh, through doing that, we found this problem set that existed across all of all of these companies, regardless of their their industry size and scale. Um, and it goes back to how you extract data from technology and and operationalize it in a in a meaningful way. And so. Uh, we launched a control room or GSOC as a service business about five years ago. Um, and then two years ago, launched uh, a company called Hivewatch, which is a, a software platform for physical security operations centers to to streamline and, and make their operations more. I don't know if that was as succinct as you were looking for, but 
No, it's perfect because I think it tells a little bit of a journey and it really talks about, you know, the unicorn that I feel that you are in the business of somebody who has lived in that seat inside of a control room, who's managed operators who live in those seats in a control room, designed uh, and now has solutions based around making them more effective. Uh, that's a rare thing to come across because I think it's perspective that's that's missing certain in certain you know, aspects of the market. You know, I always like to say my perspective is is a, is one seat at the table. I feel like you've probably occupied uh, through your 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 brief career so far because it's still brief, especially compared to mine. Uh, many of those seats at that table. Um, so that that's when I talk about your perspective on the market and and you having this. Uh, this this very uh, unique position. That's what I'm talking about. So thank you for sharing that, Brian. Um, that's awesome. You know, I think part of where you've gotten to with Hivewatch has really kind of been this trend that we've seen with this bombardment of data points. Right? There's just there's no it's no real you know there's no letting up. It's just relentless. The amount of data points that are coming are fast and furious. You use the term operate, uh, operationalized. Uh, yeah, you say it better than I do. Operationalize the data. You know, I, I talk about discern discerning content uh, and making it uh, actionable. I think they're kind of the same things. Mm-hmm. How do you see? What do you, What do you see? Is uh, so I get that part of it. Um, what do you see as misses in the in the GSOC space, either in planning, uh, in technology, or in execution? Talk about where you see gaps. Uh, in those three areas, right? So design, operations, execution. Well, I think uh, planning is the first big miss. Um, and that touches pre-planning. It touches the design of the physical space. It touches the the tools and the technology, even the layout of the space um, in terms of how the room's going to be operationalized. I think a lot of times people come in and rinse and repeat what they think a a room should look like, how it should be structured, how many how many workstations they need, uh, where the video wall goes, if they need a video wall. Um, you know, thinking through the the program and the operations, and ultimately what the output of the space needs to be, how the space interacts with the organization, how they disseminate information, who are the recipients of the information, what are the types of of data feeds that are going to flow in and how they get processed and where they need to go. Do all of those resources physically need to sit within the walls of that operations center versus is that space more for critical response and we can have analysts and other people sit in different places? You know, in a, in a post-COVID world, I think the uh, what that looks like is probably a lot different than before too, right? Do we, do we need one huge GSOC or do we want to think about regionalizing our, our operations more to smaller regional SOCs? Uh, when we think about future of work and, and hybrid and distributed workforce, do does everybody need to physically be there in person? Does our control room support remote work? Does it support people collaborating from, from different physical spaces? And so that idea of sort of rinsing and repeating the control room of the past and, and how it's always been done and, and how it's always been done is kind of a, a fundamental that's driven my entire career because it really annoys me uh, to no end uh, when people do things because it's the way it's always been done. Uh, but uh, so so that's the planning piece for me. And then there's the, the operationalizing it. And um, I think there's been a lot of great innovation, and this isn't unique to to physical security, although there's been some really good innovation in, in the physical security space. I think the challenge in 
part of this touches planning and part of this touches how the control room operation grows over time, right? So if I open a control room today, I can pick the best solutions that that exist in the market that support our operations today. But my needs as an org are going to evolve over time. New technology is going to come into the market that I'm going to find a reason to, to utilize. And what's happened over time for a lot of these control rooms is they've identified a lot of really good point solutions that do one thing uniquely well, um, but not how to necessarily tie those into the overall operation of the of the program. And so you end up with the need for operators to monitor lots of individual things in order to do their job. And even if those individual things are really good, it still hurts the uh, the operational efficiency and effectiveness of the program. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I guess technology for the sake of technology, not necessarily a good thing. And technology that's done in a vacuum uh, also doesn't have the kind of impact and, and ROI that you might be looking for. And the third part, I think you kind of alluded to, which is change management for the people that are living inside the four walls of your command center. Uh, that's not thought through what the impact is and how it uh, how it how it affects their their daily workflow can be detrimental, right? So it can have the negative effect of what you're trying to do by by deploying new technology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you talk about the rinse and repeat. You mean the the you know the the room that you're given the, the 10 by 12 space in the basement of a building because it happens to be available may or may not be the right fit for an organization when they go to plan a GSOC. It's likely not the right fit, but I'll say that um, you can do a lot with the space if you plan effectively and you really think through how to operationalize it. So, you know, sometimes the, the organization has to deal with whatever they've been given, right? This is the space that's available and, um, you know, moving the operation center isn't easy to, or the control room once you get it up and operational. So arguably getting stuffed in the basement isn't necessarily a bad thing because you're also least likely to get disrupted down there and asked to move at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, once you get that room saying, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to just do this this way because this is my preconceived notion or this is my my singular experience of, of how this room needs to be set up isn't necessarily using that space to its uh, uh, optimal potential. You also mentioned something else that's a kind of a, I would say it's a struggle in the industry right now because there's a little bit of back and forth um, was, you know, the concept of a centralized global security operations center or a centralized operations center, take out the G and the S versus decentralized, whether that be regional, whether that be task level, something along those lines. Um, and, and I don't think there's a right or wrong reason uh, for that, but can you make the argument for or against those different uh, architectures? Well, I think it's very um, organization driven. Um, so I don't think I could say that one is better than, than the other. Um, I think it really comes down to what's the nature of the the business um what's happening with your workforce today you know uh think about the people who sit in the seats in a security control room day to day um staffing those positions are harder now than they've ever been in in the history of i think the security industry um turnover right now in third party staff socks is about 80 percent annually um, average time to train an operator across the 10 to 15 different platforms that they have to use in a control room at a minimum takes about two weeks. Um, and so that turnover number 
coupled with the complexity of training somebody on all of the systems makes for a very inefficient program. And so what can you do to increase job satisfaction, performance, retention? GSOCs have never really thought about um, their program from an employee retention standpoint, because if somebody left, you call the guard company and tell them, hey, give us somebody else. Um, but one, it's highly disruptive. There's a lot of loss of institution, institutional knowledge when when somebody leaves. And the, the harsher reality right now is there just may not be somebody available to come back, fill that role. Um, and so we're starting to see a lot of people even think about letting uh, employees do hybrid work that are operation centers, uh, operation center operators that pre-COVID, that never even would have been a consideration. So uh, long-winded way of getting to my favorite consultant answer, which is it depends. Uh, but but truly, um, you know, I think I think there's arguments for the big control room. I think frankly, the argument in favor of it is probably getting harder and harder. Um, and I think that's fairly broadly applicable. Um, I think the question of how you regionalize or decentralize is probably the more relevant conversation. And understanding the risks attached, right? There's definitely a, a, a risk reward scenario with that, or at least a, a benefit and a, and, a, and, a, and a drawback to it. So no, I, I, I would agree I'm in the same place. It, it all depends what's good for one organization, uh, may not be good for another. You kind of talked about that when you talked about cookie cutters as well. Yeah. Um, the technology being an operational tool versus a nice to have, or just because they did it, we have to do it as well. Um, shift gears a little bit. Uh, Hivewatch. So we talked about them earlier. Uh, it's the um, uh, the new organization, the new team. You've been developing it for a couple of years, but you guys really just launched, uh, or at least uh, you know came out from behind the curtain, so to speak, at ISC West a couple of weeks ago. Um, we haven't had a chance to talk, I think, since the show, and we really didn't have a chance to talk at the show. Um, but you know. How was the reception? Talk to me about some of the feedback you guys got since you were really out there talking to people on a on a more widely or broad scenario. Well, I'll say that the the fact that we didn't have time to talk at the show is probably a good indication of how the show went. Um, I know you know this was our first time doing a, a trade show booth at all, um, and the reception was was overwhelming. Um, certainly, the first two days of the show. Um, I don't think our team got a break from the time the the show opened to to the time the the show floor closed. Um, certainly, a lot of follow up going on over the the weeks to to follow. But I think um, one of the big takeaways for me is how much what we're building resonates with the the problem set of the the industry. Um, I think one of the challenges that that us and other emerging technology companies in the space are going to have is number one, reframing the way that a lot of security leaders think about the the problems and maybe more importantly, reframing the way they think about the the solutions to those problems. Because to my earlier point, a lot of things have been done for a long time because it's the way it's always been done. Um, right. And so I enjoy having that conversation with security leaders because I can push back on, on notions of, you know, hey, do you, can you customize your product in, in this way? And I'm no, we've chosen not to do that type of customization because of this. Um, and when you can explain it to somebody um, coming from a background of security to somebody with a background of security and like why it actually makes sense to reframe the way you're thinking and how that improves the efficiency of your program, 
generally it's really well received, but that also means that there's now an educational component to uh, to the sales process and to the the conversation around uh, what the control room and what the operations center of the future really should look like. Yeah, it, it, it I can definitely see the educational com- the the educational component being significant. I can see the disruption of the industry being. I can see the resistance being out there for sure, uh, especially when you start talking about security directors and security managers, and no offense to them, but they tend to come from a, a certain subset of the field that's more about operations, less about technology. Uh, they see things in, in, in it. I come from the same place, but Yeah. No, I know that. I'm not holding that against you either, I don't think. <laughs> I hold it against myself a little bit, but that's okay. No, so I, I, I you know, you do have that uphill battle for sure. Um, but uh, I was just reading something very recently between Netflix and Blockbuster, where if you're not going to disrupt the industry, somebody else will. Uh, so why not you for sure? So yeah, and I, I think you're right. Look, our our end user and buyer segment in security are certainly generally not technologists. Yes, um, I think that that's changing. I think COVID has certainly helped accelerate it. I think a lot of of organizations like you know, cloud has become kind of a buzzword, but the reality is organizations are shifting to cloud. Um, and a lot of companies we talk to, physical security is still the only piece of the organization that still has physical servers and infrastructure um, on the site. That's getting noticed. Um, one of the other shifts we're seeing in the, the physical security realm is historically physical security leaders have reported up through legal, through facilities, through finance, through areas of the business who don't have a security background, who frankly don't have the biggest budgets, um, and where security may be that sort of annoying, nagging other duty as assigned. Um, Whereas now we're starting to see security reporting up more through the CTO, the CISO, the CIO. Um, And so number one, it's giving new visibility into technology or lack of of effective use of technology and security, lack of uh, availability and utilization of the data that's available within security. But also that's the area of the company that has the biggest budget as well. Um, and so that's a real opportunity for security leaders um, in addition. Yeah, but they've got to learn some new new vocabulary as well. Uh, we've been saying hundred percent. Yeah, I've been saying during that transition that, you know, your 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 security director needs to go and talk to the IT manager. They've got to make friends with them because so much of our technology is riding on their networks. Um, and we talk about the fact that they've got budget to that point as well. Uh, is, are there, you know, so yeah, I agree that used to see CFOs, used to see facilities uh, managing these groups, uh, HR compliance, what have you. Why, why are you seeing the shift over to IT and information security managing physical security? I've got my guessings, but just curious if you see that, you, I see that trend, why? Well, I mean, I'll use another industry buzzword, but convergence. Um, I think um, we hear a lot of organizations say physical security and cybersecurity. And I think the word we're going to start hearing more and more is just security. Um, because the reality is both of them are are one thing that have to work together. And if you look at the number of, of cyber breaches and insider threats that may impact the, the digital footprint of the organization, there's very often a physical component to to that attack and and similarly within you know workplace violence incidents and things like that there's there's overlap between uh physical access to a space or a physical act and something that uh touches the organization electronically so uh, 
the fact that the two sides of the organization have been separate for so long, I think is really the real question, not why are they starting to um, converge with each other now? No, I love it. Great answer. And definitely, uh, definitely where I've been seeing it go as well. So let's pull out the crystal ball. Um, so Ryan Schoenfeld's crystal ball of where the industry goes in, let's call it five years. And what are the mechanisms that help get us there? And, and as well as the risks that keep us from getting there. Five years, huh? Five-year technology prediction. Five years. Five years. Um, well, look, I think um, we talked about point solutions in terms of control rooms. I think I think the conversation now and, and into the next five years for sure is going to be more about platforms um, and uh, you know how platforms enable programs better than solutions do. Um, I think that the... Uh, We'll come up with a better buzzword for convergence than convergence, but I think the the integration, at least, of uh, the physical security and the uh, the cyber security programs, um, will be much much further along. Do I think they'll be fully integrated in five years? Unfortunately, not. Um, and I think that's right. probably more of a function of resistance from the physical side of the house than the the cyber side. Um, I think it's a mess for organizations that that allow that to happen, but but I think that's the reality. Um, I think unfortunately the the physical security industry will continue to to lag years behind in technology five years from now, which I think is also unfortunate. Um, but I do think adoption of uh, more cloud solutions. I think um, I think we'll see a lot more hybrid deployments as organizations start shifting. You know, I think for certainly big big organizations saying that we're going to do this quick cutover from on-prem to cloud isn't realistic. And so solutions that will support sort of that transitionary period um, will uh, gain a lot of traction. And then um, I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, I don't know if it's five years, um, but in the advancement of of control room spaces, one of the things that I'm really interested to to both be involved in and watch is where AR, VR, and and potentially even uh, metaverse type technologies um, can help with scaling these programs and and the ability to build uh, more immersive experiences for control room uh, response. Yeah, I think the AR VR conversation is a really interesting one. It's been talked about for a little while. Actually, the last episode that I did was on part of that concept. I do think ergonomics and the operator experience is going to play very heavily into that. The technology is one thing. Uh, how do we make the operators comfortable, alert, and responsive uh, over long? Yeah, well, and you can shift somebody sitting in a current headset for eight hours. Um, yeah, so that'll be interesting for sure. Um, Touching on that similar subject, when you start talking about cloud and the migration, and that's been a theme throughout the conversation so far, I was on a panel discussion uh, talking about RMR managed services, really focused on the integrators. And it's been a subject that's been long in the industry, but I got an interesting question. I wanted your take on it. I, I'll give you my answer to the question as well. And then uh, you can tell me how right or wrong I was in addressing it. So the question came from an integrator saying, hey, we're seeing a lot of manufacturers specifically around cloud and software services selling direct. What would be your answer for us on how we combat that, how we challenge it, how we address it as integrators in the marketplace? And so after I got done telling them that I'm a manufacturer who only sells through channel, uh, so don't shoot the messenger, I said, quite frankly, they're selling direct because 
you can't sell their product. Um, how right or wrong was I in that statement? Ah, it pains me, but you were right. Uh, the you know I was on a webinar um, at the very beginning of COVID, and this was at the time where uh, everything was shutting down. The the integrators projects were all getting put on hold and suspended. Uh, and I, I remember the webinar very specifically because we've been talking to integrators for years about one, the evolution of the business and becoming more tech savvy and thinking about managed services and how to support not just, you know, in the security world, the cameras and the access control and the the one and done installs and, and break fix, but how do you start getting more into IT and infrastructure and control the piece of the the infrastructure that security rides on um, so that you increase your your importance and the customer's um, dependence on you, but also the ability then to to put managed services and, and other things in that that generate recurring revenue. And similar for for cloud adoption. Um, you know, subscription-based products is recurring revenue. And uh, that's been a miss for the integrator channel for a long time. Um, and I'm not anti-channel. I think the the issue with the current, at least in security channel, is the failure to evolve with the current technologies and their ability to um, not only support the implementation and the ongoing maintenance of those solutions, um, but the um, the complexity of of these new solutions. And so, like, you can't have your standard technicians support a SaaS solution that has a lot of complexity or to implement a solution for a control room that's going to be subscription-based, you probably have to spend more time with the end customer understanding the business and the operation and how it needs to be used so that you can properly uh, configure it. I think that the, the V part of VAR has been the big issue in this conversation and it's where and how can you add value to this besides just the transaction. Um, and so there's absolutely a place in the industry for um, for the channel. There's absolutely a place for um, the channel to evolve and, and maintain relevance, but the evolution is the piece that that's necessary and the piece that's been lacking. So Ryan, we just spent a lot of time talking about the risks, uh, the you know where we're where the opportunities are, where the the misses are in the market. Let's end on an up note. Let's end on optimism. Uh, talk a little bit about you know your your wish for the industry and where you see opportunity. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love the industry. Um, I think it's an incredible industry. I think that the mission of protecting people is what draws me to it and and that's unchanged regardless of of technology innovation channel um i think it's an incredible industry to be a part of uh, i also think in a time where budgets are getting constrained within organizations where there's a lot of economic uncertainty security is a great place to be people always need security um you know so that that's a that's another positive i think that the the channel and the the integrators and the manufacturers have a real opportunity now um, to spend time with their customers, spend time with the organizations that they support, 
and really understand the, the needs of the business. And not just from a manufacturer standpoint, build things that you think they need, find out what they actually need and build that. From the integrator and from the, the channel perspective, get into your customer and find ways that you can make your business more sticky. Find ways that you can offer recurring services to, to your organizations, not just to generate more revenue, but so that you can support them better and, and build a better long-term relationship with the customer. Get away from just hiring technicians that can pull cable and hang cameras. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but hire IT people, hire um, software developers and software engineers where you can get involved in these more complex uh, SaaS deals and help with implementation and, and ongoing support. Because not only does it make you a better partner to, to your clients, I think you'll find the exponential increase to, to your organization's revenue as well. Perfect. I think that's a great note to end on. So Ryan, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm so happy with the success, uh, the success of Hivewatch uh, and yourself in the industry. So keep it up and thank you again. Thanks, Dan. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode of Knock Your Socks Off. Uh-huh.